When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pod Save the Queen! Hello and welcome back to Pod Save the Queen. I'm your host, Anne Griffith, and we've got a different kind of show for you again today. I am back out on location. No Amber with me this time, as when we went to Windsor to look at the uh, Royal Wedding exhibition. Um, but this time it's an episode all about Prince Charles because it is his 70th birthday today so happy birthday your royal highness or sir or Charles as we tend to call him um we hope he has been having a marvelous day uh, it was kicked off in fine style overnight with some uh, really beautiful pictures released to celebrate the happy occasion uh, from the same set that we'd uh, seen that original image last week prince louis being held by kate and charles chucking you know chucking uh, chucking him under the chin and cooing over the baby um, this was uh, two group shots one at that moment when um, you know everyone actually miraculously had smiled for the camera all looking at the same in the same direction even all of the small children so well done Chris Jackson from Getty for that um, but they also released the more candid shot so Charles and Camilla with Charles's two boys William and Harry and their families Megan and Kate and William and Kate's three children all absolutely in fits of laughter, Camilla pointing at something that was going on behind the camera and everybody looking like they were having a really happy time, which I, you know, I, hope, I hope will chime with many of you when you think of special family occasions. Um, so, why is this episode special? Uh, last week, we talked briefly about the documentary that was shown on the BBC, uh, Prince, Son and Heir, Charles at 70. And today we are going to catch up with John Brickett, who is the writer and director of that documentary. Uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, it is a really sort of fascinating behind-the-scenes look at things, um, hearing... Charles, William, Harry and Camilla talking about um, the things that are important to Charles, their relationship with each other, their concerns for him as he gets older and all of those kinds of things. We also get to see Charles on his travels in the Caribbean in, uh, in Australia for the Commonwealth Games and the things that are important to him at home, the things that he's been working on for years and, and abroad as well in fact when it comes to the environment but at home the Prince's Trust and then um, heritage and uh, restoring historic buildings um, particularly Dumfries House in Scotland which has become a place of employment, training and um, quite a focal point for the area but um, I'm going to meet up with John now and I'm sure he'll be able to tell us a lot more about it and what his impressions are of the birthday boy. So hello John Brickup, welcome to Pod Save the Queen. Hello. Good. We're here in the Bloomsbury Hotel, we've got a cup of tea 
we're not invited to Charles's birthday party, but he Afraid is, not. sadly, the, I think the reporters have caught up with him today and given him some um, chilli-flavoured nuts to try and keep the squirrels off his bird table. Oh, really? <laughs> which apparently caused some mem- merriment, but... You um, created one of the showpieces of television around his birthday, shown on the BBC last week, still on iPlayer now. How did how did that all come about? How do you end up spending a year with Prince Charles creating a documentary about? Well, I've um, I've made a number of films with him over the years. In fact, I made a a film for the BBC for his 60th birthday, which was rather different. Um, and in fact, I, I met the Red Squirrels then up in Scotland at, um, at Burke Hall, where he, we'd just finished some filming with him, and he said, would you like to come see my red squirrels? And I said, oh, yes, you know, really would love that. And um, at, the, at the sort of garden door, he had a bucket of nuts, and he just sort of rattled it, and in they came, into the house, um, and sort of sneaking, taking all these nuts away. It was just hilarious. We, we filmed it, and we actually ran it after the end credits of the film. <laughs> One of the outtakes. And you did, I kind of got that feeling watching watching your new film that he, he could probably have been quite happy as a sort of a gentleman farmer and, and countryman when you saw him well, tipping, he, out, tipping out food for the chickens and admiring his rare breed pigs and all of this kind yes, of thing. Yes, he, he's very keen on, on the country life. Uh, I think living in London, you know, he has to live in London at Clarence House for part of the time, but I think it, it's very much... I mean, it's a lovely house, but it's very much the office for him because he goes, he spends quite a bit of time at Highgrove, his house in Gloucestershire. But I, th- I suspect he's most happy when he's up in Burke Hall in, near Balmoral, which he spends three months a year, something like that there. And that is not, some people might think he's on holiday when he's up there, but actually he, he may take a bit of holiday in the summer, but mostly he's working um, full pelt up there and He's doing some engagements, but mainly he's doing desk work. And um, his staff are sort of, you know, deputed to do various bits of research and so on. And he he will work sometimes. I spoke to one person up there, an executive assistant, who was required to to go and uh, work with him on, I don't know, letters and speeches and so on, at 10.30 at night until midnight, you know. And... um, it's a fairly, he sets a fairly demanding pace. So I, I've been lucky to make these various films with him. And it came up to the 70th birthday, and I think he wasn't really sure whether he wanted to do a film or not. Um, but in the end, um, after discussion with the BBC and with his press office at Clarence House, um, the project went ahead on the basis that it would be an observational film rather than a more conventional sort of assessment type film um, involving other people. So this, we were filming just him and the people he met en route, as it were, and members of his family. Mm-hmm. It was very, we had, I think it was just four people that were getting interviewed, really, Charles, Camilla, right. William and Harry. Yes. And you're talking about the demanding pace that he sets. That was one of the moments that um, made me sort of smile. Harry talking about having to go... You know, his, his dad falling asleep in his work and sort of peeling the notes off his face. And um, my parents might not thank me for this, but I quite regularly have to wake them up on the sofa when they've just fallen asleep in front of the telly. And, you know, they're a little bit younger than, 
than Prince Charles, but that sort of sense of he really cares about stuff. But actually, hang on a minute, slow down. You're... Yes, well, it's a syndrome that I recognise. I mean, um, I think it's something that as you as you get older, you know, the idea of having a a, a, a late evening nap is um, is increasingly attractive and something you, in some ways, you can't actually avoid. But um, it was very funny hearing Prince Harry talking like that. He spoke very frankly and um, and I thought affectionately about his father. It was very warm. There were lots of warm moments that the, the boys, really the boys, they might be a little bit younger than me, but not a lot. Um, you know, they, they shared about their, their father and there was... So Harry, when he launched into his story about litter picking on holiday, I should have started out on, this is really quite embarrassing, and my friends are really going to take the mickey out of me for it. I used to get uh, taken the mickey out of at, uh, at school for just picking up rubbish. I didn't go out consciously looking for it. Yeah. You probably did it as well. Or well, you go for walks anywhere. If you see something, it stands out, you pick it up. And before you know something, what are you doing? Where are you going to put that? It's like, well, wow, I've literally done this because I am... I am programmed to do it because because my father did it and actually you know we we, we should all be doing well, it he took us litter picking when we were younger yeah on holiday with the, with you know the, we were we were in norfolk um on school holidays yeah. and we went out litter picking with him and again both of us thought this is perfectly normal everyone must do it you know we're there with our basically spikes stabbing the teenagers the the rubbish um into black plastic bags i'm sure there's an element of that and um I think Prince William was at times looking across and thinking, uh, what are you going to say next? Because <laughs> they, they, they were very different, actually. William was, he seemed more considered and, I don't know, maybe mindful of the fact that actually he will be the next Prince of Wales at some stage and he will have to fashion that job in his own, in his own way as his father has done. And so there's that element to it and I think there's also an element to it that like this is Harry's year he's really come into his own with the wedding and taking big strides on the the public stage and sort of lifted somehow by having Meghan by his side and really propelled into you know very much the forefront and the focus because for all that Harry was doing quite a lot of work before it was probably William and Kate that were still getting more of the attention and the focus and you know the pictures in the paper and journalists following around the world yes i think i do i think prince harry you know until relatively recently he was seen as a you know as a bit of a prankster and and you know living living a little bit the high life with friends and so on um i think i mean i think over the last few years that's changed and and even before um he met megan i think it had started to change and he's you know he's sort of there was a, a quite a sweet little interview that we did for the Queen's 90th birthday film when he was talking about Christmas at Sandringham and how um, he was talking about the younger generation, which he did not mean himself. He was talking about the, the, you know, the, the children. He said, you know, when the younger generation start running around, he said, I feel it's time to sit down and have a cup of tea. <laughs> And this was not what I sort of, the words that I thought I'd hear from Prince Harry. It was very much, um, he was, you know, you felt he's, he's starting to, um, uh, to feel, you know, the onset of responsibility and, <laughs> and middle age. I don't know, that's well, a bit premature for him. But, big responsibility uh, coming for him next year when he's going to become a father himself. So. Absolutely. And I think, I, I feel that he's, you know, he, he takes all this very... 
very seriously, and uh, he's he's both very sort of uh, careful to look after his wife and and to as happened before they got married with with trying to protect her from press intrusion and so on, and the way that he's he's very conscious of his of his royal duties now, and that's something that is rather touching and I thought he's very committed to his father in, for the work that his father's done and feels somewhat sort of outraged by the fact that the, the media have not really and, and other people have not really given his father his due for being prophetic in a way on some of these issues and and you feel that Prince Harry's got that got that buzz about him that that you know he's he's going to um, well be a very keen supporter on the issue of climate change, for instance. I mean, he it's something he's not just being dutiful; it's very passionate. And that that clip that was unearthed from was it the nineteen seventies, I think, nineteen seventy itself. Nineteen seventy, when he was only twenty one, when Prince of Wales was only twenty one, talking about plastic waste. Um, I mean, it's it's you know, it, of course. There were some people talking about it then, but not many. And it was seen as really rather eccentric and sort of um, peculiar to be bothered about this, as though it's not really a problem, is it? And, of course, it's grown and grown. And um, if people had actually taken steps to avoid this single-use plastic in 1970, we'd be in a lot better place now. There'd be a lot more seabirds and whales and so on that would have had... um, an easier life without the digestive problems that they've had with plastic. Oh, quite. I think it would probably have struck a chord with my husband when Harry was saying, I was like, my wife wants to keep turning all the lights on. <laughs> Why do we only, we can only need one? It doesn't need to be quite this right. <laughs> but, um, so you obviously did the, the film 10 years ago. How, coming back again now, how do you see that 10 years? How has Charles changed in himself or in his well, surroundings? Well, when I did the film ten years ago, he'd only relatively recently married the Duchess of Cornwall. I mean, that was—I forget—was it two thousand six, five yeah, or six? Two thousand and five, around five, then. Yeah. I think. So relatively recent. Um, I feel now that he's a man. Actually, despite what some people have written in the press, he's a man who's very much at ease with himself and at ease with other people. Um, I'm sure he still does get agitated about things, and you can see that from time to time. But I think he's... Um, I mean, his wife talks about him not being bothered about the sort of his destiny weighing heavily on his shoulders. And I think he, he, that's all part of it, that he's, he knows that's coming, and he is... He, he has sort of developed into that role, although he hasn't assumed it yet, but there is a sort of, um, I think there's a, a gravitas and a, and an ease that is um, is quite palpable, really. And I think that's that's been a change from ten years ago. I mean, you know, he 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 was when I was filming him ten years ago. He's in his late fifties, so he wasn't a young man, but he was, um, I think, less certain of the way things were going. And this now, I feel that he's 
you know, he's comfortable in in the role that he has. When now that he is um, standing in for the Queen quite often and supporting her in public as well, you know, rather touching scenes that you you get, like when at the garter ceremony they were coming down the steps outside St George's Chapel, and um, the place would normally have been taken by the Duke of Edinburgh, but he wasn't there, of course, and. And the Prince of Wales came across to sort of check that his mother was okay coming down the steps. I suspect probably got told, I'm quite all right, <laughs> um, as, as people of that age are prone to do. Um, and, um, but he's solicitous for her, you know, to make sure that she's okay. On the other hand, he doesn't want to, to step in to sort of, um, you know, she, she needs... You know, thank goodness she's very, she's very fit and in good health, and so she wants to keep, you know, keep on like that, and without him, as it were, sort of getting in the way. But he, he looks out for her. It, I mean, it is a strange, it is a strange job to have when you spend your life waiting, and ultimately you're waiting for this big job that may be yours one day in the future, but it will coincide with the with the death of your mother. Yes. And it is, I think, a, a, sort of a, a sense of the strangeness of that position came over in your, in your film. And, the, and actually, that he has made the most of his time waiting. And it's, he's made well, that's, his time in between valuable. Yes, that's what I'd say. He hasn't hung around waiting. Um, he's, you know, he's gone on with what he feels he can do that is useful. And... And that's very full-time occupation. You know, I mean, he is incredibly busy and hardworking. I don't think people perhaps realise that because you, know, you have to be a bit of a geek to look at the court circular regularly. But, but um, you know, I'm sure I, we've got plenty of geeks listening. In <laughs> good. Well, I mean, I, you know, it's my job to keep an eye on these things, and so I, I do look at the court circular, and you know, there's quite a lot of activity there, but it doesn't tell half the story of what's actually going on. And he has meetings, sort of private business meetings with members of his charities, um, organisations which he's patron of and so on, on a regular basis. And I, I asked them to count up how many there were in a year, and it's over 500 of these meetings, which are just sort of behind-the-scenes things. Um, you know, he's not, he's not on parade, as it were. But those when you consider that there are a wide range of subjects and he needs to brief himself before each meeting. You know, he can't just sit there and and, um, and sort of take no interest in the detail. He's very involved in detail. And to do that, he's got to bone up on the British Asian Trust um, work or the Red Squirrel Society <laughs> or, you know, or he's president of the... I, don't, I can't remember the proper botanical name, but he's president of the firm association dealing with all different types of firms. You know, I mean, all these things that he's involved with, let alone the Royal Opera, the Royal Collection, uh, sort of bigger names like that. But you've got to be across all that. And, and that's, it's not just the meetings themselves, it's the preparation as well. And what's he like as a person in his, sort of in his presence? How well, do you see him? He's very gracious, I would say, is the first thing. Um, people have written about him being difficult 
and sometimes short-tempered and so on. Well, he's never been short-tempered or difficult with me. Uh, other people can speak for themselves, but I find he's always considerate and and he is gracious. There's a there's an old world courtesy and sort of um, uh, you know he, he 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 does think about how far people come to see him and whether they need some refreshment, all that sort of thing. It's very it, it is considerate, and that's number one. He's he's very humorous. We had this funny. Um, experience of filming, which is in the film, of the prince and the duchess traveling on a rather rickety train, the heart of Wales railway line, going up from um, Swansea, I think, to Shrewsbury. And it's it's beautiful part of the world, um, but the trains are pretty infrequent, to be quite honest. I, I think there may be five a day. So it's not easy to be used by people um, you know, to get to and from places unless you've got all the time as a tourist. But nonetheless, it's still in existence. And he, we had this funny business of waiting on the platform for the train to arrive, and it was eight minutes late. And it, was, it wasn't very well organized because they, um, they put him, they, they, they got on first, naturally. Um, and they were put in the seat. As soon as you got in the door, they put them in the seats right by the door which meant that everybody else was piling in past them. And I thought this was, you know, bad planning, really, because, um, you know, it meant everybody sort of, oh, oh, <laughs> and stopped to sort of, you know, to be polite. Um, anyhow, eventually they were moved, but, uh, but not before everybody had struggled past them. I was getting on carrying the tripod, um, the camera tripod, which is a particularly heavy one, and camera bags and so on. The crew were behind me carrying all the rest of the stuff. And he looked at me, he said, oh, oh, John, he said, I thought you had a trade union to stop you doing that sort of thing, <laughs> which I thought was quite funny. Anyhow, we, um, we had a hilarious time on that train because it's not the sort of train you normally see them on. And partly because they would often travel on the Royal train or they would travel... Very often, I would imagine they travel first class, but I don't. I don't think there was first class on this particular line. There's only normally two carriages. I think they put on another two to cope with all the press on it. But we we bowled along, and he and it was pretty definite because it was a very hot day, and he insisted, as he always does, to have the windows wide open. So it's recording conversation in there was quite difficult because the train made a hell of a noise, um, and. And there was sort of lots of people in the carriage as well. But anyhow, it was fun. We did it. And, um, and I think, you know, I think they enjoyed it, although they tend to get talked to all the time. This is another thing that strikes you, is that whenever he goes, there's always, there's always somebody who is on hand to explain what this or that is, and they just never stop talking. And I just, I had to say to his press officer, you know, be really nice just let give them some space to look out of the window and look at the scenery rather than have somebody yakking at them all the time i mean i was doing a bit of yakking <laughs> myself but i mean you just need and i'm sure they they need 
a little bit of time to absorb the surroundings rather than having everybody explaining things to them endlessly. But that is the sort of the peril, I suppose, of being on a royal visit. There's always some children somewhere ready to sing you a song or give you a bouquet or someone to... And he, so that, his sort of sense of humour did come, come over. He was very much tickled by the whole black pudding incident where there was a, a, a butcher who'd uh, locked himself in we're just going to top up our off top up our teas as we uh, as we chin wag away. Um, <laughs> you know, he, he locked himself in the freezer and managed to escape by using this frozen black pudding sort of as a battering ram to to unstick the button. Had you heard that story before? I I was aware of the story, but I wasn't aware of the sort of the connection with the. Well, I can know, tell Prince you, Charles's local butcher. As I can tell you something funny about it because I, I didn't have space to put this in the film, but he you know he wanted to go and visit this this butcher, Sheridan's in, um, in Ballata, the little town next door to Balmoral. And um, because Sheridan's had supplied these, this black pudding, uh, the, the frozen black pudding, which got the man out of uh, another butcher. And the butcher in question, who got trapped in his cold room, was in Devon, in the town of Totnes. And he started, the prince started telling the story in the car, and the prince was driving. So the only, because he got his detective in there as well, um, only the cameraman could go in, in the car, but in the back seat. And he was filming as they were driving along. And he saw, you know, he got the prince's eyes in the mirror. Um, and, and the prince started telling this story. He said, I want to go and visit the butcher because I must congratulate him on his black pudding. Um, <laughs> and he started telling the story about how this butcher in Totnes had got trapped. And my cameraman said, well, I live in Totnes. <laughs> it was the most extraordinary coincidence. Um, and he said, yes, it's Mr. McCabe is the butcher in Totnes. And Prince of Wales said, well, will you please give him my congratulations <laughs> when you next see him? And so he, he did. My cameraman went to see Mr. McCabe told him this and of course Mr McCabe thought he was just pulling his leg yeah. <laughs> he thought pull the other one you know you've, you've been talking to the Prince of Wales oh yeah and um, anyhow next time we saw the Prince we told him and he said uh, my cameraman said actually I passed on your congratulations and Prince Charles was really delighted <laughs> you for, the, for our American listeners who may not be familiar with a black pudding um, it, yeah. it was a it was um, in its biggest form it was a it was a basically a giant sausage yes sausage which, made of blood which more get, or less which gets cut up and and cooked as part of a full English breakfast that's right and can be quite delicious can be um, quite delicious not everybody's cup of tea no, no. but but it's yes it's and it's very popular in Scotland and in the north of England particularly oh, isn't it's it making me hungry now the, the um, the uh, delight at the smell of the wine-fueled car that uh, <laughs> William and Kate had driven round on their wedding day was also there. Yes, he's very keen on sustainable fuel. And he, is, he does seem very natural talking with people. He's sort of a bit of an old smoothie at times, just chatting, you know, chatting with people and well, you know, this is de- self-deprecating. And absolutely. I think it's... I tried to convey this in the film, but it's my feeling that this is going to be a major step change in the next reign. So he, he's going to be our next king, and it will, be, it will feel quite different. And I don't think people realise this yet. The thing is that Queen has been on the throne for 
what is it now, 66 years. And it's an amazingly long time. And you know, very few people in the country can remember George VI. Um, and they don't realize that there is more than one way of being sovereign. And, you know, each king or queen has their own style, their own character. And the queen is doing things differently from her father. And George VI did things differently from George V. And this is natural because it's just one person and they have to do it in the way that they feel is right for them and the way that they feel, the way the public expect them to behave as well. And I think people will, you know, the Queen started the walkabouts, although actually there are one or two walkabouts that George VI did. They weren't called that then. Um, But you do see George VI and his wife, Queen Elizabeth, um, doing, talking to members of the public. But it was pretty unusual. And then the Queen really got it going in the 60s. And it's developed from that. And obviously, Prince Charles has been doing it for years. And I was very struck by the way, by his, the way he handled this when he's meeting complete strangers. He gets very put off by people holding up their phones and taking, um, taking pictures of him because he's trying to talk to them and only get, suddenly you get an iPhone stuck in your face. It's a bit off-putting. And he, whenever anybody asks him for a selfie, he always says, I'm trying to give them up. Um, <laughs> but he, he has a very interesting way of communicating with complete strangers. And that is, it's not just polite conversation. He tries to find a connection you know, he'll, he'll, I mean, there was a bit in the film where he's talking to these students in Durham about how many essays a week they write and relating it to his own experience when he was at Cambridge. And that's, I think it's, it's really touching because he's looking for a connection, a shared experience in that brief moment that he's talking to them. And often he will, it won't just be one moment of conversation. He will ask a supplementary and, and there's a, you know, there is a, re- he gives people his full attention and then moves on to somebody else. And I think people will find this very different because it's not Her Majesty's style. And I think she's, she has found... I mean, she does talk to people in crowds, but it's a, it's a more... It's, it's less easy. And I don't think she's ever found that easy. And he's found a, a way of doing that. And I think that's going to be very different in the next reign. He will still be formal. I mean, you know, he's got a style that is dignified and formal when necessary. But he's also got an informal manner with a lot of humour, um, which I think he's picked up a lot from his father. It's a sort of... I mean, it's not quite such risque humour as his father. <laughs> Fortunately. <laughs> but he's got a... It, it's a really interesting um, mixture and a blend of, of the formal and the informal. And people find that they've got a, a monarch who's actually quite... Um, quite easygoing in that way and it, it would be refreshing I think. and I think we got a flavour of that with the two pictures that they chose to release for the birthday so there was the, you know, the traditional formal one which we've come to expect and then the one where they're all falling about laughing I mean I, I would love to know what was going on behind the camera there were you there when that was that no I wasn't, wasn't there I aura. desperately wanted to film it but I wasn't allowed to because it was being held back for the actual birthday which is fair enough um, it was lovely 
And I think they were really apprehensive about whether the children were going to behave for that event. Because, of course, you know, you never know with children of that age whether they're all going to be in tears or whatever. Um, but it's very interesting. And it's, it's nicely colour-coordinated because they're all wearing blue and white, aren't they? I yes. Mean, um, Perfectly colour-coordinated. And the interesting thing is that Prince Charles is wearing a tie, um, suit and tie, so there's, there's that formality whereas his sons are in open-neck shirt, um, but they're in a suit as well. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a very... It, it, it's one of the best photographs I've ever seen, actually, both of him and of the whole family, you know, in terms of the sort of... You feel this is a really fun family. It's almost, you know... my Again, back to my dad, was terrible for it when we would all get together. It's not one of those ones where you've had to put the camera down, set the little timer, and then run back and switch <laughs> yourself in, which is probably what most of us do to get those, to get those family pictures. a very impressive photographer called Chris Jackson who took that. And he worked with us, um, you know, well, we, we were working alongside each other, let's put it like that. Mm. Photographers always complain about television crews getting in their shots. All I say is... Um, you can see lots of Chris Jackson in our footage as he's leaping in front of the camera. <laughs> you can't see you can't see any of us in his footage. <laughs> I must ask: Did you twig that there was um, baby news coming imminently? Were you were you privy to privy no, to that or suspect it? I wasn't at all. I mean, I noticed when we interviewed Prince Harry, which was before he went to Australia, so and before the baby news, he talked about his father getting energy from his family and from the grandchildren and hopefully grandchildren to come, he said. Yes. And that was obviously, he knew. Uh, I, I, it did cross my mind, but then I thought, well, it's a reasonable thing to say because you, you may, may well say, well, I'm hoping we're going to have children. Mm. Um, I think he's probably said that before anyway, but it was, now I look back and I think, oh yes, that's actually, <laughs> that's what that was about. And the, did he, so did you get to see him with his grandchildren at all no, during your filming? Unfortunately not. Um, it, you know, the thing is, they, they don't meet in the normal course of events that often. There are, of course, private meetings, but they like to, they like to keep that private. And I think it's partly that um, Duke of Cambridge has... Has you know, very understandably has protected his children from being too exposed to the media, and that's one aspect of it, I suspect. Um, but also, you know, their moments, their, their time together is quite private, and much as we would all like to see more of that, um, they keep, you know, they like to keep a bit of privacy there. And we did get a lovely photograph, which hadn't been seen before, of Prince Charles with Prince Louis and sort of. Um, playing with him. Another um, Chris Jackson special. <laughs> yes, it was. And then there's another picture, which is lovely also, which is in the background of the interview we did with the Duchess of Cornwall, which shows her granddaughter being whirled around by, mm-hmm. uh, by the Prince of Wales. And, you know, sort of, it, it, it was, it's sort of the thing, you know, we all like to do with children. And it's rather touching that you see that in a completely informal moment, because it's, I think it's in the garden of her house, and I don't know who took it, but it's it's a, it's one of those just family snaps, really. And as William was talking about wanting his dad to have more time to be able to spend 
with the grandchildren and um, in an interview that um, Camilla gave yes. to the Sunday Telegraph, she was talking about how he, you know, he'll get her up, get down on the floor and scrabble about with them and just, you know, he's, he's fun grandpa, he's not... Yes, but, it, you know, it's... It is... I know it's, it's, it's a tricky thing. The, the Prince of Wales has a very full schedule and I think they really have to sort of map out time slots. Mm. It's not a question of thinking, oh, what should we do this weekend? Should we <laughs> pop around and see the grandchildren? Let's just make it up. And also, you know, Duke and Duchess of Cambridge have, have quite um, their own commitments. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, it, it needs arranging. But um, hopefully, they, I'm sure in the summer, when they're, I mean, they're all up in Scotland together, there's a lot more time together then. Um, and finally, you asked Prince Charles, there's a discussion, this is just a meddling versus motivation yes. and whether he would carry on doing that as and when he does become king. A little bit of a discussion about what kind of king he might be. What kind of king do you think, do you think he'll be? Well, he said, he said several times that he wasn't going to carry on, as it were, carry on. I use, I don't mean it pejoratively, but he wasn't going to... Um, be as involved as he has been as Prince of Wales because he sees the two roles as being different and he, I th- he thinks people are mistaken to think that Prince of Wales has to behave as though they're the monarch um, you know Prince of Wales have latitude to get involved and he feels provided he's not being part of political then it's alright and that's you know some people would quibble with that but that's his view and that's the way he's conducted himself. I think you have to take it abs- <coughs> sorry, absolutely at face value that he is he does completely know, and he, I suspect he doesn't like being lectured by people who are probably half his age about how to behave as monarch, because he knows perfectly well how to behave as monarch. There is, on the other hand, I think it's fair to say he's coming to the throne with... 50 years of experience of public life, you know, if he, if he came to the throne tomorrow, it would be of that order. When the Queen came to the throne at the age of 25, she'd had, um, well, the equivalent would be five years of time in public life, and that was as a naval wife um, living some of the time in Malta and, you know, not tremendously involved. And, and anyhow, women were not greatly involved in things then anyway. So it was, she came with very little experience of the world in all its variety. He comes with a massive amount. And of course, we know he's got opinions, but he's also got ideas. And I find it, I think it'll be quite possible that he will, he's not going to make speeches attacking GM crops or, uh, you know, all that sort of thing in, in when he's king. Of course not. But he knows so many people, he's networked so much all his life, and I think he will still be um, tossing out ideas in private, which he does at the moment, and he'll carry on doing that. That's different. And you know, people say, oh, he'll, you know, of course, he'll just be able to talk to the prime minister. Well, I think that's ridiculous. I mean, the poor man is not going to be confined to just talking to the prime minister once a week. He will be talking to all sorts of people. And, you know, you don't have to be 
publicly involved, but you you can suggest not I'm not talking to politicians necessarily, but to people who run charities and who run um, organizations that are there for benefit of the community. He can be suggesting things, and he knows he he's, he puts people in touch with with other people, not only in this country and around the world. He's been involved. One of the things I was sad not to get in the film is his Turquoise Mountain Foundation, which is this extraordinary charity. People had very little idea about it's in operates in Afghanistan, uh, the Syrian refugee camps in Jordan, Saudi Arabia, and Burma, where they're not only restoring wrecked buildings, but they're um, running courses to train people in traditional crafts so that they can earn their living. And it's, it's, it's about trying to regenerate um, life for people in distressed areas. Now, that, that sort of thing, he, he has a lot of experience of at a distance and can put people in touch with each other. And I think that sort of thing will go on. So he's, he's not going to become um, a sort of, uh, you know, a new, well, he will be neutral, of course, but he's not going to be neutered. <laughs> um, he will, he, he's got that passion and he's got that um, knowledge and experience, which I think he will find ways of imparting to others. But it doesn't have to be done in public. Thank you so much for joining us today. Maybe who Real knows? Pleasure. Maybe we'll be here again in ten years' time we'll <laughs> talking about Prince Charles, King Charles at, at eighty. Well, he said to me, he said, "Oh gosh, eighty next." <laughs> <laughs> oh well, um, happy birthday to Prince Charles. We wish him many more uh, happy returns to come as well. And thank you, John, for joining us. It's been a great pleasure, Anne. Thank you. Pod save the Queen!